Well, welcome to the Unstoppable Freedom Podcast. I'm Jimmy Page. Well, it's no secret that there is a hard move in this country toward Marxist ideology in our schools, in our legal system, in race relationships, and even in economics. Today, we're going to be tackling this issue head on by discussing the American system of individual rights, limited government, and free markets. Our topic today is all things capitalism. Well, most people don't even have a basic idea about what true capitalism is. Today, we have a tremendous guest who's an expert on capitalism. His name is Mike Williams. Mike is the founder and president of Altius Financial, a registered investment advisor. He brings over 30 years experience in financial planning and wealth management, and he's earned numerous client service and investment advisory awards. Mike also created the Defenders of Capitalism Project, originally created to be a crucial component of the leadership program of the Rockies curriculum. He's also the host of the podcast Capital Idea, which expounds on freedom, capitalism, and the American ideals. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Jimmy. I really appreciate it. You bet. I'm excited for this segment because I've gotten to know you over the last nine months as part of the LPR class of 2023 building an army of freedom, and uh, where we're going back to the timeless principles of freedom that form the foundation of America. And I got to tell you, I've learned so much, uh, and really I've learned and grown in my understanding of and appreciation for kind of the American way, if you will, and in particular capitalism. Um, you've been a big part of the LPR story. Tell us a little bit about your involvement. Well, that is a long story. I've got to do a disclaimer first, Jimmy. I, you, you introduced me uh, as a registered investment advisor, and I, and I appreciate you mentioning that. But you know, because of our regulatory state, we got to make sure we uh, keep those uh, hats separate. And I'm not giving any financial advice today. That nothing I say should be construed as uh, investment or advice. <laughs> um, but my <laughs> background, it. my background uh, is in what I would call almost applied capitalism, helping people reach their financial goals. Uh, my History with the leadership program is it's interesting because I I uh, started with maybe 15 minutes on one class day uh, close to 15 or maybe 16 years ago in the program they were wow. they were requiring people to read Ayn Rand and Atlas Shrugged mm -hmm. but not having anything any kind of structure around it and so the president of the leadership program Shari asked me to put together some. Uh, some initial, you know, just kind of presentations to give structure around reading Atlas Shrugged and understanding it better. So that was my initial involvement, and that has evolved uh, over the last 15 years or so to be a, a much bigger part of the program. It's a, it's a full thread, so to speak, throughout the whole class. Yeah, it's amazing. I'll tell you, you've stretched my understanding of capitalism. You know, we'll talk a little bit about that. And and the great news about it was in this class, you kind of create an environment where not everyone has to agree. Not everyone has to see it the same way. But at the same time, we're challenging these ideas and ideals. And what I've really valued the most is when we challenge them and you can explain in a broader context about what you mean. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you mentioning that. That's one of the key components that uh, people uh, don't really necessarily know about when they come into LPR. But uh, Shari has created, the whole team has created a uh, environment that is um, just that. We we have certain principles we're advocating for, but the yeah. application of those principles in a political context or a, a social context are complex, and uh, there's different views. And so we we encourage that kind of a uh, um, 
you know, uh, a safe space and a span in a sense of just saying, Hey, look, you, you're here to learn and we're here to learn from you. And, and let's, let's work through these things together. And sometimes we're going to disagree and it's okay to do that. Yeah, that's right. So let's get into it because I know our audience is, is they have their own impressions about what capitalism is. There's been a tremendous marketing job, a kind of an anti-capitalistic marketing job and propaganda, I believe in America. So it becomes difficult to really, um, support and believe in capitalism because of the negativity that surrounded it for so long. You have a very succinct definition of what capitalism is. Share that with us. So it's interesting they bring that up because I think you're right that there's a lot of people who don't understand capitalism very well or understand it by its essentials. And mm. it, it is crucial when you're talking about these kind of concepts to understand, you know, have a clear, really clear definition of, of what you mean by things. So if you just start off with the whole idea of capitalism, it's a socioeconomic political system. Um, that's one piece of it uh, that, that basically recognizes and protects individual rights, including property mm. rights, crucially proper property rights. And it's a system where all property, all property is privately owned. So it's, mm. it's that social system, that socioeconomic political system where, where people have uh, their individual rights being recognized and protected by their government and where all property is privately owned. And, and obviously we don't have that right now. Uh, right. We, we don't have, uh, you know, pure private property. And, and that's, People sometimes think, well, that's uh, that's not what I heard about capitalism. I thought capitalism was about, you know, uh, business and trading and uh, uh, profits and all kinds of other, you know, competition, all kinds of other words that we associate with capitalism that aren't that are that are uh, that are part of it, but not the essential part of it. That essential part is is rights protection. It's amazing. I mean, that to me was an aha moment. Right. Because I never associated capitalism truly with the exercise of individual rights, the protection of individual rights. I never even connected it, honestly, to our founding documents, our founding principles. I thought capitalism was just a system that we chose or that may have worked for us. But in reality, it is inextricably linked to America, uh, to our system. And let's talk a little bit about the key components of it. One of the things that you spoke on early on is that this is about mutual voluntary exchange, freedom, not force. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, and, 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 and I want to actually add on to what you said, Jimmy. Uh, I, I think you're right. It is. It, it's essentially uh, a system of America um, in terms of formally kind of, uh, you know, creating a, a structure around it. But in one sense, I mean, this is this is the interesting thing about it is that people have forever you know, since humanity began, have uh, tried to build and create things uh, in in a self-interested, profit-seeking way. And, you know, it's not like people just started trading values or trading things when America was born. You know, people would buy and sell things before America was born. So it's like, well, wait, what's different? Well, the difference is that it, it's setting up that system uh, in a formal way that recognizes both the human nature, the, you know, the, the, uh, the fact that people want to do that. People want to actually live their lives for themselves and they want to seek profit and they want to trade with each other and then set up a system. Well, yeah, you can do that voluntarily where you're, where you're removing force from trying as best you can to remove force from, uh, human relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's the thing, right? Is whenever there is force and boy, we've seen a lot of force 
exercised in America in the last three years. And, you know, obviously we've had we've had the situation with a global uh, pandemic. I would argue that maybe that's not quite an accurate statement, but we certainly were under the, the heavy hand of force of coercion from governmental forces. I mean, you know, we saw things like and, you know, I don't know how far we want to get into this, but we saw things where our government was sitting in a position where they could actually shut down businesses, close their doors um, for extended periods of time. Uh, That seems to fly in the face of what we're talking about with capitalism, doesn't it? It absolutely does. I think it's a little more complicated than than a lot of people realize. Um, I actually believe, and this may surprise you, Jimmy, but I actually believe that it's possible to have a pandemic situation where the government is acting within its its proper role by Mm. shutting things down. At least I can imagine that. Now, this case of COVID was not appropriate to do that because it wasn't that big a threat. I mean, the the key thing, the key role for government is to protect rights, protect individual Mm -hmm. rights and property rights. And and that means if there is such a a grave threat, if there is such a grave threat where someone has uh, a communicable disease where they they really are just by being in in, uh, proximity to other people, they're threatening their rights then the, right. the government does have a role. Um, there was some confusion at the beginning and maybe not so much confusion, maybe even intent. I don't know enough about really the epidemiology of it. I'm, I have, like you, some concerns about what happened in terms yeah. of the government uh, taking that role. But in hindsight, they had absolutely no uh, role. Uh, it, they were acting, most governments around the world and including our own was acting improperly in terms of the, the actual threat to, to, to yeah. individual rights. Yeah. And I think one of the things that was most concerning about that was that the bureaucracy was largely responsible for these mandates, for these lockdowns, you know, that it was local public health officials who are not elected oftentimes and who are operating, I think, in many times outside of their power. You know, we think about limited government and why limited government is so important for capitalism and for human flourishing. Um, why is capitalism congruent with human nature? Why, why do those two things fit so well together? Well, I mean, I touched on it a little bit. Uh, people are self-interested. You know, the, the first the first thing that uh, someone wants is survival. Um, mm-hmm. And then beyond that, they want to survive well. So I, I call it survive and thrive. People want to exist and they want to thrive. And that's self-interested. That means that they are interested in, in themselves first. Um, you know, if, if, if you could call it an, an instinct, that's what it would be. Uh, I, you know, I, I have questions about whether the human beings really have any instinct because they don't have automatic knowledge with regard to how to behave, how to actually do that. They have to learn those things, right? They yeah. have to learn, learn about survival and thriving. You know, what's the best way to live? How do I live and, and live well? But, but that, that's the key component is um, – People are self-interested, and capitalism mm-hmm. is a system that allows for the freedom to use your own mind, to use your own mm-hmm. body, to act upon that motivation of self-interest to, to better yourself. Um, so yeah. capitalism, by protecting rights, by recognizing your right as an individual to live for your own sake, um, mm-hmm. it's basically allowing you to say, okay, you have the freedom. We have a system now that allows you that kind of freedom to be able to live for your own sake and trade with others and to better yourself by trading with others. Right. And it's interesting too, because you, you actually brought up a concept 
which I at first was so vehemently opposed to, where you said that self, I'm going to quote you, maybe this is a little mischaracterization, but you said essentially that selfishness is good, you know, and, and I'm going to address that a little bit with the Wall Street quote from Gordon Gecko in a little sure. bit. But you said essentially that selfishness or being self-interested is not necessarily a bad thing. And capitalism works together for the benefit of of all, right? It, it elevates everybody. Tell us a little bit about your your take on that. Well, so that's there's a couple of concepts in there. One one is you know capitalism working by by having a system set up that allows for people to be self interested, to actually look out for themselves first, and 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 encourage them to use their their freedom, their mind, their their body to better themselves. I mean that that was originally sort of recognized by Adam Smith, who's considered to be the you know the father of uh, economics, you know the father of modern the modern study of economics as a science, um, and he used this concept, this kind of mystical concept called the invisible hand. You know when he, when each one of us are just looking out for each other, or not looking out for each other, but looking out for our individual self interest, um, and but trading with each other and having a, a system that protects you know the violation of other someone else's rights, uh, mm -hmm. but but you know a, a system that is like that it sort of mystically works out for everybody else. I mean, he, he mm -hmm. made that obser observation in his book, The Wealth of Nations, you know, observing, um, you know, how nations traded with each other and how individuals and, and companies within those nations would better themselves. He made the observation, well, look, it, it looks like when people are able to do that, everyone else does better too. Um, mm -hmm. So, it, but he didn't, you know, he was he wasn't uh, he didn't consider himself an economist. I mean, they didn't really have that term economist in that sense. He considered himself a moral theorist, and mm. he didn't necessarily like his observation. Wait, selfishness works, but he was saying just being reality focused and saying, hey, when when you have a system that that allows for people to be you know long term selfish, uh, mm. look out for their own ends and try to profit, then look, it, and it ends up working out for everybody else. That whole yeah. idea of selfishness, I mean, selfishness as a virtue. I mean, we touched on the fact that we in the in the class, we read Atlas Shrugged. Ayn Rand is the author of that book, and she's also the author of a book called The Virtue of Selfishness. You know, mm -hmm. and, and her idea was to expand upon other philosophers who who made the, the whole point of what, what's called ethical egoism, which mm -hmm. is basically just the idea that, no, it's ethical to look out for yourself. That, that doesn't mean it's ethical to violate other people. And that's right. oftentimes what people think. They think it's an either or, either you're being selfish and violating other people's rights, you know, hurting mm -hmm. other people to get what you need, or you're being sacrificed yourself. And she, re right. re she rejected that, that uh, dichotomy that, you know, there's a third option. The third option is no, if you're really thinking about your self-interest, your long-term self-interest, you also will recognize there are other people you want to trade with. There are other people out there that you want to, but other people are a tremendous value in your life. And, and but you don't have to choose with, to trade, trade with them. You have the freedom to say, OK, I want you know freedom of association. And that goes back to the founders in terms of them recognizing, no, you don't have to you don't have to associate with you know, everyone in your community. You can say, no, I'm you know, you go do your own thing and I'll do my own thing. We'll be free yeah. together. We won't violate each, each other's rights and we can maybe decide to trade another day. Right. And, and you know what I like about that, too, is that my long term success um, really depends upon me bringing value to others. Right. So you can't take advantage of people for very long without it having negative repercussions for yourself. 
So if I'm providing goods and services that that don't have a value to others, that are cheap, and in that exchange, people start to realize that, hey, this product isn't very good, they're sure. going to take their business elsewhere. So my, my selfish interest actually is to produce the best product at the best value so that people want it. And, and in, that, in so doing, the, the customer gets tremendous value. I get value. And you, you talked about that being a win-win. You know, we're, uh, capitalism is always about win-win. And that's what I love about it. The market eventually corrects for people who are unethical. Um, another thing that I love about capitalism is, is the incentive side of it, right? This incentivized um, idea that you can, if you innovate, if you're creative, you know, you talk about the, uh, the greatest wealth is in the human mind, right? Your ability to innovate leads to prosperity and profit. Um, I love the fact that capitalism has built in incentives to, to provide things of value and do the right things. Talk a little bit about that cooperation, that competition, the, you know, and the idea of incentives. Well, you know, in one sense, I would say it's not just capitalism. It's the world we live in. It's reality that has incentives. You know, the, the, the fundamental choice in life is either you live or you die. Right. And so life itself has incentives. Life just being alive doesn't actually keep you alive. You have to figure out, okay, what do I need to do? So there's the incentives to try to figure things out, to use your mind, to be able to say, okay, how do I, how do I survive and how do I survive in a better way than I have in the past? And that's where you get into that whole idea of in, um, in terms of innovations, people doing something different. You know, if you keep doing the same things, you're going to get the same results. Um, And if you think back to the sort of caveman existence or prehistoric, uh, existence. If people, if there wasn't anybody who's saying, wait, you know, there's, there's this thing that, we, you know, it, I'm afraid of it, but it's fire and, and we can use it to cook or keep ourselves warm, you know, and, and innovate in that way, or the guy, whoever the, the genius was who created the wheel, right? I mean, that was something different. No one, everyone was like, yeah, let's beat him over the head because he's c- talking crazy. You know, he's, he's trying to shape a rock into a wheel and that's upsetting the gods or something. You know, he was thinking differently than other people, and that's the whole process of humanity just becoming wanting to improve, you know, each individual trying to improve themselves. Capitalism is the, is the structure that allows for those incentives to work in a rational way for for the benefit of people by protecting each individual in their own in their own uh, person and, and property. That's great. And one of the things that you asked on our final exam, if you will, our, our defense of capitalist capitalism final example is is. America, a capitalist system, you know, give it, tell us if we are, cause there's a huge misperception about this, right? Are we, are we a capitalist system? Uh, we're definitely not a capitalist system uh, today. And, and, you know, the thing is capitalism is an ideal. Uh, when, mm. you know, when I, when you initially asked me to define it, if you, if you, if you say, and I emphasize this whenever I talk to people, I, all property is privately held you know, all property. Well, we definitely don't have that. You know, there's, there's plenty of Plenty of property. I mean, uh, the majority of the land mass in the U.S. is owned by the federal government or the state governments. So just in, in that fact alone, we don't have that being private property. Um, you know, and, and, you know, just when you think about your own home or the things that you uh, pay taxes on or have to ask permission for, even your business, in one sense, you don't have full control over it because the government is exercising its force by either laws, regulations, mandates, permissions licensing, all kinds of things where they're saying, well, it's your property if you follow these rules. So you don't have full, uh, you know, you don't have full property rights in America. Now, that doesn't mean we're 
we're a communist system either. We're not a, a fully socialist system. We're we're a mixed economy. We're basically a mixture of the state and its interventions in our lives and some freedoms, depending upon which area that we talk about. Um, you know, we, we still have lots of freedoms, but we're certainly not a capitalist system today. Um, yeah. And my my case would be that every time and, and you may say a person may say, well, when you define it that way, Mike, you know, there's no such thing as capitalism. We've never had it. And that's true in one sense. But if you look at history and you say, well, OK, you have this ideal of of all property being privately held and, and the protection of rights in that sense versus the state and the state owning everything uh, or purely a collective system. You know, those mm-hmm. two extremes are, in a sense, ideals. Whenever you've moved more toward this ideal of uh, fully private property and the protection of rights, you've had an incredible uh, flourishing of human human beings in, in all aspects, whether it's material, spiritual, however you might define it. Every yes. single way you can measure the good for a human being, uh, as a human being, uh, people mm-hmm. have thrived. So, I mean, that, that, that's, that's the way I would explain it is people need to realize that every time we move toward that ideal, we get better off. Yeah, it's amazing. I'm reminded all the time that I don't technically own my property. You know, we just uh, went through here in Larimer County in Colorado. We just went through a property assessment reevaluation. And it just reminds you that your ownership of your property is conditional. It's conditional upon you paying taxes to the state or to the county in, in this particular case in order to maintain your property. And and there is this piece there is this piece when that happens, when you realize the the amount of taxes that are attached to your property and then the taxes that you pay. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, it's part of the reason why individual property rights are so important, because in some ways it keeps the government limited in their scope of what they can do to you. Um, if you don't own your property, then they can take your property at any point. Um, you said early on in the curriculum that America is the only nation born of a moral idea. You know, this idea that there is a that there is a moralistic component to America. What do we mean by that? Well, it means a number of things. If you look at history, most nations, most most nations uh, were born out of some kind of conquest uh, or, or mm. they were born out of someone. Uh, maybe it was a king or someone who thought they were going to be the emperor or some, somebody who was, or a military general who was saying, we're going to now take over this, this area, you know, this geographic area, and we're going to call it ours, and we're going to call it our nation, and I'm the one who's going to be in control. So most nations were born out of, you know, conquest and, and power that way versus our founding where, they, you know, they, we were part of England and we were part of that empire. But we said, wait, you know, this isn't working out for us as a people here. And we're going to consciously, you know, first of all, study a little bit about history and how people got along. What were the best systems of government? What were the best, the best ways that worked for people? And yeah. and declared our independence in a moral way of saying, no, we're going to set up a system that's different than what has ever existed before. And it's going to be based on the recognition of each individual having a right to their life, liberty and pursuit of happiness, including property. I mean, that that statement itself. It's really encapsulated in the one state, you know, the introduction to the Declaration of Independence of declaring why, you know, saying we're going to we're going to form our own country, not because we're taking over some new land. Now, people might um, historically you could talk about, okay, well, 
North America, the indigenous people here and so forth. But but the 13 colonies were basically saying, you know, we're here and we're not going to be part of America, uh, England anymore. We're declaring our independence based upon this moral precept of each individual having their own right to their life. And that's that's what we mean by it being a, a you know born of a moral ideal. Yeah. And you know what I love about that concept, too, is we basically flipped the script on government's role. Right. Before this, government kind of grants its citizens rights. And what we said was, no, those rights actually are unalienable. They come from God. They come from the creator. They can't be taken away. And the role of government isn't to grant us those rights. Instead, it's to protect those individual rights, those rights to property, those rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I just love the fact that we are an ups. <laughs> I shouldn't say it this way because people take it wrong, but we're an upside down nation. You know, we say that there's something greater than government. Um, and I love the fact that our government's role. And if you, if for me, one of the biggest things I took from the class was government's role in its limited scope is to protect my rights. And what I see now, I seeing it through that lens now makes me see all of the ways that government is infringing upon my rights, chipping away at all my constitutionally protected rights. Um, you're, you've got to be seeing that on scale now, especially in this in this area. Absolutely. Absolutely. Although I think, you know, one of the things that's amazing to me is that um, a lot of people and especially people who I'm more uh, sympathetic with, you know, maybe on mm. the right side of the political spectrum, uh, conservatives or people who are more pro-America, so to speak, it feels like they're just kind of waking up to this themselves right now and that, that it's been going on for a long time. The, the seeds the seeds of cultural change are oftentimes planted decades ago or even maybe a long, longer than that. I mean, if you think about what's, you know, the, all these violations of rights that you're, you're speaking of, Jimmy, um, yeah. those didn't just happen overnight. I mean, there was a more of a, a philosophical, moral um, seeds that were planted during the progressive era, uh, you know, really a hundred years ago that did change the nature of, of how our government works, the relationship between the individuals in America and their government and, and, and mm -hmm. the, the individual citizens understanding of the role of government. Um, mm -hmm. That whole idea of, well, a government is its job. Its proper role is to protect rights is a, a crucial concept in America. And it, and it wasn't just born in America. I mean, obviously, you know the America, the founders were relying on on uh, you know you know monumental thinkers uh, like John Locke and you know people before him, um, the whole Enlightenment tradition coming out of Europe, especially the Scottish Enlightenment, not the French version. Um, you know, that whole tradition is what the the founders in America were relying upon to to justify and 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 building upon to be able to say no, this is. This is the proper role of government to protect rights. Now, the problem is that rights itself, that concept of rights themselves have to be better understood, because in today's world, if you say rights, well, people might agree with you and say, yeah, our government is to protect our rights, our right to health care, our right to a, a, a dignified retirement or a right to, to to be educated. And that's mm -hmm. not what we that's not what a, a capitalist means as rights. You know, you can't have rights to other people's things. You can't have a right to violate someone else. And whenever you have a right to something, some physical thing, some physical good or service, then you, you're going to end up saying, OK, you have a conflict of rights versus the correct version that the founders recognize is the right to action. The, the, the be able to pursue, you know, that, that's why they use that term to pursue 
your happiness. You don't have a right to happiness and you don't have a right to healthcare. You have a right to pursue those things. You have the right to earn them. You have the freedom to be able to earn these things. Um, but th th that's a, oftentimes a confusion uh, in that whole discussion about rights. And that's something yeah. that people need to be more clear on. Well, I think that's really important because the right, one person's right can't require taking from another in order for you to establish that right. There has to be the opportunity, right? We talk a lot about having equal opportunity and not equity per se, where you kind of redistribute the wealth. Um, but this is interesting. You mentioned the seeds of cultural change are oftentimes planted generations ago. And I, boy, that is so true. I think what we're seeing is the fruit of those yeah. seeds that were planted decades and decades ago. In that context, why do so many people today, especially young people, have a favorable idea of socialism? Like, why is this? Uh, it, it feels like it's all of a sudden, but it's not all of a sudden. But why are they so um, leaning in to this idea of socialism? Well, I think you're exactly right um, that, that that's happening. And I think I would I would say that especially young people are, are uh, empathetic because of those seeds that were planted, as, as we talked about. Um, the whole our whole government uh, monopoly on education has sort of engendered that in some ways purposefully, maybe in some ways not so purposefully, but it's definitely encouraged a collectivist mindset. And today yeah. our, our government schools are are uh, not educational uh, institutions. They're indoctrination uh, institutions. They're basically indoctrination for not socialism per se, or even Marxism per se, but but collectivism in the in the sense of the primary objective is to make you fit into the social structure. That's what our mm. objective is to educate you, so you fit into the social structure. Versus many other uh, you know alternative objectives of what an educational system could have. Uh, part of it's because you know, that they've been indoctrinated. So young people have, have grown up with this idea of um, not explicit so much. Again, it's becoming more and more explicit. Uh, you know, I think you mentioned the the whole, you know, the the teachers union and some of their, they're becoming more explicit, which is a good thing. And I guess we'll maybe talk about that. But that's one piece is they've been indoctrinated that way. But another point is that young people are typically more idealistic. Um, mm. You know, once you get a few years under your belt, you get a little skepticism and you get kind of, uh, unless you really um, are conscious about being actively engaged in the world, uh, and you yeah. can do this as a 50-year-old or as a 70-year-old, but a lot, a lot of times you get kind of like, okay, here's the way the world works. Here's my own either explicit or oftentimes implicit philosophy about how the world works, and you get skeptic, skeptical about things. Younger people are typically more open and they're idealistic. They're like, well, I want the right, the moral, the, the good. I want the, the you know, I want to be um, idealistic about the world. I don't want to give up like these old people have on, on what's going on. And there's never been, uh, and, you know, I, I, I'm, uh, I am an objectivist, you know, someone who subscribes to Ayn Rand's philosophy. And, mm -hmm. and she believes uh, and said, and I agree with her, that there's never been an adequate true moral defense as an ideal, as capitalism as an ideal. You know, there, most of the, the people who've defended capitalism, including all the way back to Adam Smith, were saying, hey, it does work. You know, this, this, this uh, yeah. invisible hand thing where people are, can be selfish and trade with each other, it works. You know, it works out better for people, but it's not good. It's not really the moral thing. You know, the moral thing is to sacrifice for each other and, and be <clears throat> more, you know, 
my brother's keeper, so to speak, no one has ever made the case and saying, no, this, this whole idea of selfishness in a long-term rational way is itself a moral ideal. So yeah. people are on the right don't really appeal to young people because they don't, they're not idealistic. They're kind of a compromise. The people on the left who say, no, collectivism, you know, I am my brother's keeper. We should all be this way. Um, the, the, you know, utopia of a, of a socialist society, that's the ideal. And so young yeah. people gravitate toward that idealism, even though it's false, they don't, they don't really, they haven't heard an alternative. They haven't heard like, no, wait, there's an alternative that really is idealistic. And so yeah. that's a big piece of it. I think, I think the last thing I would say about young people is there's, there's oftentimes, especially given what I said about the indoctrination, uh, mm-hmm. a, a desire on the part of young people and, and maybe their parents to not have them grow up, you know, to kind of protect them. And, you know, young people are, are not, they don't necessarily have the consequences of reality. They, you know, they, they go through this, you know, sort of social collectivist uh, school system where it's mostly about, you know, are you fitting in? Are you, you know, are you wearing the right pair of jeans or, or did you, you know, succeed on the, on an athletic field? Yeah. But then you go into college, which is kind of like a, an extension of that, you know, sort of a vacation, um, mm-hmm. not really um, being engaged with the world. You know, the, the, today we have, you know, safe spaces and, and we don't want to have people think for themselves. We've got to protect them from things that they don't agree with. So it's like mm-hmm. this desire to delay growing up. And I think that's part of it as well. Yeah. And I think, too, they probably have, like you alluded to, a kind of a fundamental misunderstanding of what socialism and capitalism actually are. You know, it's funny because, um, you know, there's some studies that have been out that show that when kids start working earlier, the earlier, the better, the more they understand and link together hard work and rewards. You know, they appreciate the value of hard work. They appreciate the value of one hour of work. You know, I remember when my oldest son, he now lives in California. I remember when he got his first paycheck and he looked at the at the percentage of taxes that were taken out of his paycheck. He about lost it. He's like, wait a minute. This means based on what what they're taking out of my check, it means that I'm working for the government through April. And that's just on income taxes and payroll taxes and all this nonsense, not to mention the taxes on everything else. I think that gets gets young people's attention when they actually link what they're how hard they're working and the value of what they're getting. But one of the things that you mentioned was. Well, hey, thanks for joining us for part one in this two part series with Mike Williams in all things capitalism. uh, Our first session has been dynamic but you're going to want to make sure you listen to part two coming up.